This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What are the skills that our kids need in order to manage what life throws at them? Because, oh my gosh, we've had a lot thrown at us for sure this last year. But as you said, I've been talking about this since 2017 because the numbers have not been good for years. For a decade, we've been seeing this trend. So what are the skills that we need to help our kids develop? How do we emotionally inoculate them or emotionally vaccinate them against disappointment, against heartbreak, against failure. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and other big feelings. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to say. So Lynn, we just had our first retreat in two years because of COVID, and I'm still in the afterglow. I am definitely in the afterglow. It was fun. I think what I was struck with was that parents hadn't been together for two years. Like This was sort of a reunion of all these parents that didn't know each other, but that had really been parenting in isolation during this pandemic. So there was a real sense of like, oh, yay, we can be together. We can talk about things. And it was also interesting, and I I talked a little bit about this. It was sort of paradoxical because people have been parenting in isolation but they have not had time alone. So you're parenting in your own head, you're parenting by yourself, you're parenting with your partner, but man, being away from your family for a little bit, I think that felt kind of good to people. Alone time is such a beautiful thing. And it's sort of like alone time with other people. So you are away from your routine, you're away from the usual demands of being a parent and having your job and all that kind of stuff. But it was really such a nice feeling of connection that we had. It was a really great group. It was. The time just flew by. A lot of people came up to me and talked about the feeling of being validated by Mm -hmm. what they have experienced as a parent, how what they're seeing in their kids. There have been a lot of stressful reasons families have been struggling. And I loved people saying, like, I feel so validated. The meta point here is that parents think everyone else has this figured out. And they're the ones who are struggling. And it's so great when you look around a room. Yeah, it's sort of like sitting around with a group of people and somebody is telling their story and everybody else is nodding. Or at some point, like everybody's eyes were tearing up because they could so relate to what this person was struggling and with and and what they were sharing. It's interesting because I've been writing and this morning I've been writing for this next book I'm working on about inner isolation. And one of the things that comes up in the research and one of the things that I'm really trying to convey and capture is this notion that What happens when you rely on your own perceptions of yourself and your own perceptions of your parenting, your own perceptions of your connection, and you do that without checking in with other people and how really, really spiraling that can be. So this was kind of the opposite of that. Like what you're describing is the opposite of being locked into your own views and perceptions 
and instead sharing them and getting validation. Yeah, I think it's, I think it was great. So I know a lot of people would love to come to a retreat and the Canyon Ranch retreat is definitely, you know, it's this very luxurious spa destination. So it's not for everyone. But I did want to mention that Lynn and I have been working on what we're going to do in 2022 and how we can create a retreat that more people can attend. So I will be sharing details about this soon, but I will give you a save the date because the weekend of April 9th, we are going to be doing a retreat specifically for parents and teens to come to together. And if the teens want to stay home, that's fine too. But if the teens are coming along, we wanted it to be something very specific to what teens are going through. And Lynn, what age do you think is appropriate to attend? To attend, I would say anywhere from 13 to 19. So this will be in New England and we'll be doing this at a resort, but it won't be required that you stay at the resort. You can stay at Robin's house. Robin has said that you can stay with her. (laughs) (laughs) Waffles for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) You can't stay with me, but you can stay with Robin. Anyway, so we're doing our best to figure out a really great program for families that as many people can attend. The reason we're doing this format and the reason we're doing it where we're doing it is because this is the request that we're getting. So we know that there's a demand for it. We're also going to, I'm not going to say that much yet about it, but we have an incredible retreat planned in the fall for families where childcare will be included for the parents who want to attend and their children are four and up because that's the other feedback that we've gotten is that parents say, I don't really have the childcare set up for me to come alone. I would need to come with my kids. We have been listening to feedback. And then I want to share that the survey of everyone who attended this retreat said they want to do this again. So we will be doing an adult only retreat at like a wellness destination. So I don't know when that date is. That might be 2023. Robin's going to be the (laughs) childcare provider. So for the New England retreat, you can stay at her house. And for the other retreat, she's just going to be providing all the childcare. Yeah. So it's very cost effective, I have found. (laughs) (laughs) And my children will be valet parking. Yeah, that's right. Lynn, what I thought we should do, um, especially sort of coming off from the high of the retreat, is I want to talk about prevention again. Mm -hmm. And that is the prevention of anxiety disorders in families. And one of the things that we used to say all the time is that whether you have an anxiety issue or you want to prevent an anxiety issue in your family, This is why the show is really relevant for every family. Mm -hmm. There's no one who is excluded from this. Everybody is at risk. There's no one who's free of the the potential for having anxiety and it's pal depression. You know, we know the connection between anxiety and depression. And so it really is about learning these skills. And in talking about prevention, I've sort of been saying this when I've been, I'm sort of back on the road. I'm back in airplanes and I'm back traveling. And I've been saying that it's it's kind of a relief, not kind of a relief. It's it's really a relief for me to be able to talk about prevention again in such a direct way. Because during the height of COVID, I really couldn't talk that much about the prevention of anxiety because the house was on fire. And so I think it's really important for us to recognize this is this is about developing skills. This is about recognizing how this thing operates so then we can stay ahead of it. Rather than talking 
exclusively or only about what do you do if your kid is anxious, which is a great thing to talk about, but being able to say there are paths, there are patterns, there are things that we know from the research and things I know from 30 years of doing this that absolutely predict, right? I can see the storm clouds are rolling in. And this is what we want to focus on. Prevention is the same as treatment. And what I mean by that is that the very same skills that I teach anxious families, people that have been struggling with it, people that have been diagnosed with it, people that are getting therapy for it, the very same skills are the things that we teach for prevention. The very same things. I like to think of it as there are these different muscles we have, Mm -hmm. like the muscle that tolerates uncertainty, the muscle that's flexible, the muscle that is this or that. The families who need the help, their physical therapist would say, we got to strengthen these muscles. Mm -hmm. The families who want to stay healthy and ahead of it, focus on strengthening those muscles so that we're we're all trying to achieve the same baseline. Yep. Yeah. And having just gone through physical therapy myself because I hurt my back again, that's what the therapist said to me. I just got released from physical therapy, everybody. What she said was, I taught you all these exercises. We identified some weaknesses and now you don't stop doing them. You have to keep doing these exercises because now we want to stay ahead of this thing. And it's the very same with our mental health, with the way we think, with the way we parent. We don't want to get in there and just treat the injury, so to speak. We can. We should. I'm glad that PT helped me. But I also really want families to know how important it is to stay ahead of it. And it can be hard work, but it's not that complicated because just like working muscles and just like exercising, once you figure them out and they become a part of your routine, you're not relearning them every time. You're just incorporating them over and over and over again into the way you interact with your kids. I'm training again and and it was so hard in the beginning. Now I have like happy endorphins every time I mm-hmm. you know finish and I'm getting stronger. And I think that's the thing to remember is that we might have had healthier mental patterns as a family before COVID as well. And mm-hmm. we have the memory to get back there and find that connection, even if our children's developmental stages and their own patterns, they're retracting and they're making it harder. Mm-hmm. It's still there. Yeah. And we were talking about being socially rusty, right? So that was a lot of us were experiencing that. I was I felt socially rusty when I first went out on the road. All the things that I do when I'm on the road, they were a little rusty and I screwed up a few things. I felt myself bumbling along in a way that that wasn't really familiar to me. But you know what? After a few gigs, they're back. Yeah, that's really important to remember too. It's sort of this combination of muscle memory and also just remembering that the brain is incredibly malleable. It's incredibly plastic. And that the more we work a pathway, the more that pathway becomes automatic. So it's like tying your shoes or driving a car. My goal with families, and I think the goal of this podcast, is to help parents really think about what are the pathways that they want to continue to build and then continue to use. We build the pathway, we create the pathway, and then we keep it open, we keep it flowing, we keep it smooth by ongoing use. And that's all prevention. You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. 
So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. We did an episode, a two-part episode, on can you vaccinate your kids against anxiety and depression? And we're going to play some highlights from both of those episodes. It was a two-part episode, so we're going to play some highlights today from episode one. And next week, we're going to play the highlights from episode two. I hope listeners have these aha moments because I remember when we recorded this episode, I had an aha moment of what our family communication was around the topics of emotions. And I hope that if we play it again and we keep listening We're still thinking of like the preventative culture around anxiety and depression has everything to do with family communication and family awareness of emotions. 
I like when you say you had an aha moment. I, I don't generally have aha moments based on what I say, um, but I listen to a ton of podcasts and that feeling of having an aha moment, I was listening to one on relationships recently and I had this aha moment and then I was having trouble falling asleep and I was ruminating about something and I just pulled up that aha moment and it just helped me unhook. I just was like, oh, remember what you heard her say? And she's somebody who's just brilliant, Esther Perel, if you want to know. But I heard her voice and it brought me back to that moment. It was just great. Like aha moments really help. And if you have something that sort of shifts you, I think of an aha moment as something that sort of knocks you off course a little bit in a good way. I hope you have some aha moments too. Lynn, I've heard you talk about using preventative strategies to create an anxiety vaccine. What does that mean? So I've been talking for a long time about the importance of dealing with anxiety and depression based on their social context, that we need to look at the impact of families and our environment and our culture, because we do have this surging epidemic of mental health issues with our young people. Now that we're talking so much about a vaccine and how that's going to help prevent the spread of this virus, I think it really is important to talk about how do we emotionally vaccinate our kids? How do we step in and teach our kids the skills they need so we can get ahead of this thing? And just to be clear, you've been talking about this long before the pandemic. You've been talking about this since 2016, 2017. Yeah. It's just that now what we had needs before, and now the needs are even more unprecedented, even though they were unprecedented three years ago. Right. You know, what I was talking about is that we really need to look at social connection. We need to look at what parents are modeling for their kids. We need to look at the pressure that we're putting on our young people in our culture and how achievement-oriented we are and how there's so much emphasis on doing everything and padding your resume and how kids were just so overwhelmed and parents were so overwhelmed. And then along comes a pandemic, which heightens loneliness and isolation, which gets in the way of developing positive and strong connections where kids who were absolutely sure that they needed to do everything to achieve and get perfect grades suddenly aren't able to take the SATs, aren't able to go to school, aren't able to participate in activities. So all of the things that families thought were so important but I have been saying for a long time, these things are actually contributing to the mental health issues of our kids. All of those things during the pandemic suddenly became catastrophic, suddenly became in the forefront. There's a part of me, as I've been doing all these talks about managing during a pandemic and the anxiety during the pandemic, I start every single one of them by saying, this was a problem long before 2020. And we need to start thinking about the causal factors, and we need to think preventatively instead of just talking about how to fix the problem once it shows up. And that's, you know, that's exactly what we learned with COVID. You can't fix it once it shows up. We've got to get ahead of it. So when you have been talking for a while about how you can vaccinate your children against anxiety, it's a, it's, you know, an allegory for what is a preventative approach to supporting your children. So what does that look like? Well, and the one important difference that if we think about a vaccination, so we have to make a little shift when we're talking about anxiety and worry and feelings and emotions. The goal is not to eradicate feelings, and we're never going to eradicate worry and anxiety. The goal is 
to be able to manage them when they show up, to normalize them. We need with our, with our kids and their mental well-being and their emotional health, we need to not be so afraid of our kids feeling things and we need to get out of this elimination culture. So there's going to be no eradication, but it really is about how do we manage the normal ups and downs of life. This is the way I think about this. Good mental health is not the absence of pain or suffering. It's the ability to manage and connect and get through it in a way that allows you to move forward. Just like we don't want to talk about success is the absence of failure. It's how do you manage the mistakes? How do you bounce back? How do you regroup? How do you recover? And I think that's what we need to be talking about. Some vaccines do eradicate a virus as its goal, like polio and measles. Mm -hmm. The science of the COVID vaccine is how do you reduce the pathological response of the infection in the body and reduce it? Right. And that's ultimately what you're talking about, developing skills that reduce the impact of anxiety. I was on this panel with Dr. Ashish Jha, who was a delightful human being. I was there to talk about the anxiety of COVID and the mental health issues. He was there, of course, to talk about the vaccination and all that kind of stuff. But the two of us kept going back to common sense. I was talking about as we're making decisions with our kids and we're helping them to navigate through all of this, we want to talk about regret prevention. We want to talk about giving them the skills to make good decisions. We want to talk about helping them manage situations where things don't go the way we want them to go. And he kept nodding his head. And then he was talking about how do we manage a pandemic? And he was talking about making informed decisions and using common sense and teaching our kids how to step into things things or not step into things based on what the data shows us. There was this real overlap. You know, I, I wrote him a little note afterwards and I just said, it just felt so great to hear us talking the same language because this is where when we're raising our kids and we're talking about emotional management, it comes down to the very same skills. One thing that I said during that talk, it, one of the questions that was asked is, what happens when a teenager wants to do something and you have to tell them not to do something and all the other kids are doing it? And I said, what you will notice and what I've noticed in my practice is that parents that were good at setting boundaries and having tough conversations with their kids and being able to tolerate their children's disappointment are doing better with this than the families that didn't have those skills ahead of time. So we're seeing so many things play out in the context of this pandemic that really have so much to do with communication and connection and decision-making and managing big emotions and tolerating disappointment. It's all coming together. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, 
life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. You use the phrase a lot, it's about skill building. You know, one of the things I've been hearing so much during the past few weeks and months, really, is kids saying, I don't feel motivated to do my work. Okay, I totally get it. So here's the skill that I've been talking to every day, I would say, with high school kids and with college kids. How do you get yourself to do something when you don't feel like it? Because you have a bigger goal. How do you take the uncomfortable steps along the way in order to achieve or to reach something that's so important to you? And we could talk about it in terms of academics, but just how about in terms of relationship? How about in terms of repairing a friendship that went sour? How about being able to step in and advocate for yourself when it doesn't feel comfortable? These are the things that we need to be talking about with our kids. You talk about the elimination culture and Mm -hmm. it's and it's being really aware of what are we avoiding emotionally? Yep. How do we step into those emotions that are uncomfortable? How do we practice those emotions that are uncomfortable and not try to avoid them? Because that's a lesson for both kids and adults. Yeah. You know, as adults are going through this, how do we allow kids to experience these tough emotions, experience the pain that comes with being a human being and know that they can get through it. And I think when we as parents panic that our children are feeling uncomfortable or our children are heartbroken or our children are feeling distress, I think we have to have ways to hold them and support them and teach them that there's another side to it. I talk a lot about people being anxious about being anxious and people being worried that they're going to feel worried. One of the things I'm hearing more and more is parents being really afraid. They're saying to me, I'm afraid my child is going to get depressed. And they say that in a way that is very passive to me, like it's going to happen. Like I'm afraid that they're going to contract this disease. We need to change the paradigm about that. As parents, if we have somehow gotten the message that we're trying to protect our children so we avoid those circumstances that could create those outcomes, right? that's the elimination culture that you talk about. I want to prevent you from dating so that you don't have a broken heart. I want to prevent you from trying out for a musical so that you don't face the disappointment of not getting the lead. But 
It's parents tuning into, are you trying to protect your children from the wrong things? Right. You know, there's the avoidance is the extreme of, I'm not going to let you try out in case you don't get a part. But there's the other thing that I think is even more common is that I'm going to let you try out, but I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that you do get a part. I'm going to step in and I'm going to make sure that you're as prepared. I'm going to take over the preparation. I'm going to take over the conversations. I'm going to pick the song for you that you should sing. And if you don't get a part, I'm going to call the musical director and say, why didn't you give my child a part? And all of that is also avoidance and elimination. Your child may participate in the activity, but you're not letting them navigate through the bumps of screwing up, of going into an audition unprepared. What we really have to pay attention to is that avoidance and elimination show up in all sorts of ways, not just in, I'm not going to let you participate at all, but I'm going to let you participate. But what I'm going to help you avoid is disappointment, failure, feeling like you're not good enough. I'm not going to let you figure this out. And the key thing to remember is that this is not about just throwing them into the deep end and saying, okay, go ahead, learn how to swim. It's about teaching them and walking through those difficult feelings that come up when you experience and try new things in life. And how do we normalize that rather than pathologize it? In COVID, it is about elimination. Mm -hmm. It is about avoidance. Mm -hmm. But the opposite is true from our mental health. We can't avoid. We can't eliminate. We have to dive in and normalize real feelings so that we have experiences how to be resilient and respond as they show up. Right. And that's the paradox of this thing is that in order to eliminate a virus, we needed to avoid social contact. In order to help inoculate or vaccinate our kids emotionally and mentally, we need to support connection. We need to support exposure. So it's almost the opposite because I treat obsessive compulsive disorder. I treat anxiety disorders. It's all about exposure therapy. How do we step into these situations? And it's tricky during this time because it's the opposite for a virus. How do we step out of those situations? We certainly don't want to do exposure therapy with COVID. We need to recognize what this year has shown us about what we need as connection. I talk so much about joy and playfulness and singing and laughing, and we're recording this on January 21st, and I think collectively, we all were holding our breath, our muscles were tensed, our breathing was shallow, and now at least we've gotten through one stage of this that we need to exhale and we need to let our kids step back out into the world as soon as possible. So for parents who are listening to this, the phrase social maneuvering, like I'm Mm -hmm. a social maneuvering mom, is a mom who is being very focused and paying a lot of attention to playdates and who your kids' friends are and how they're socially doing. I've never heard that phrase before. A social maneuvering mom? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it on some parenting website. There are certain moms, because it's typically the mom. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very rarely the dad. Dads comically approach their children's social lives in a really laissez-faire, actually. <laughs> yeah. Let me just say, except when it comes to sports. Oh, you're right. You want to see dad's dysfunctional behavior with their kids hang around sports. But anyway, go ahead. So the takeaway I would say is this, a parent is recognizing and hearing what you say and hearing that maybe there are certain situations and certain things where I am creating an avoidance 
for mm-hmm. my child. I'm trying to maneuver them academically or I'm trying to maneuver them socially. Right. So you have that moment of saying, maybe I do that. Mm-hmm. What next? So what next is don't do it. Haha. <laughs> but truly, you've got to step back. See, see, in order for you to allow your kids to emotionally manage their distress, you've got to emotionally manage your distress. And the psychobabble term for this is parental experiential avoidance. And what that means is that parents who have great difficulty managing their own distress or their children's distress step in and control and avoid and eliminate. So you've got to be able to tolerate how awful it feels for you when your child's heart gets broken. And it means that you have to have supports and you've got to have friends that you can call and cry to, or you've got to have a partner that you can say, oh my God, that was so awful watching him do that. I have all these memories in my parenting storage area that truly, like when I think about them right now, they can make me cry. And they are memories of when my children got emotionally hurt in some way. I have to be able to tolerate that. I have to be able to manage that. I have to be able to talk about that with adults, friends, people around me, so that then I can have those conversations with my kids. So as, as always, it comes back to what are the skills that you need as a parent to tolerate all of the ups and downs and emotional minefields of parenting so that then you can talk to your kids about it with empathy and with support, but also realistically that you're going to be disappointed. Your heart is going to be broken. I remember I went on this first date. That's a long, long story. But anyway, I walked in from the first date. It was a first date with a person. I think it was my first date ever. And it was so awkward and it was so uncomfortable. And I walked in the door and shut the door and burst into tears and just started crying. And my mom said, Linny, you don't have to marry him. (laughs) (laughs) But it was all, she was just very matter of fact about it, right? It's okay. It's okay, right? It's it's that, you know, I mean, it was just, I think I was just, it was just this emotional release. God, it was so awful. But anyway, but my mom just very matter of factly said, you know, and then she gave me a hug and we got through it, right? It wasn't a disaster. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was, hor- I had to figure out what to do. You've talked about that other experience where you didn't make it on a basketball team in high school. Yeah. And it was very specific that as an adult now doing what you do, you recognize the fact that your mom gave you a hug when you didn't make it on the team. She didn't call the school and complain. How many parents now feel like that's their role as a good parent? And I say good in air quotes. Yeah. As a step outside of their what should be their boundary and and get into that territory. Yeah, and I'm sure she I know she was mad. I know she was angry that the coach wasn't going to carry 12 players on the basketball team like she had the year before. The you know, the hard fact of it was is that there was another point guard that was better than me and my coach didn't want me on the team. That was the reality of it and we had to we had to deal with that, right? And my dad said, well, if you play on JV, you're not going to be sitting on the bench the whole time. You're going to be starting. I was like, you know what? That's a very good point. And then, you know, we had ice cream. So being a good parent doesn't mean stepping in and making sure that everything goes smoothly. And I think that's that's the hard part about being a parent is how do you allow your kids to find their way? Because this is about developing autonomy, 
If you don't want to be there for them every step of the way when they're 18 and 28 and 38, if you want them to be able to create their own lives and their own opinions and their own relationships, you've got to teach them how to do it when they're younger, not when they're 18 and 28 and 38. Well, you have been a psychotherapist for families focusing on anxiety for 30 years now. Mm -hmm. And what I always want to get inside your head and figure out is that there are clearly common patterns. There are parents that you never see in your office. Right. You would they they just wouldn't need you. Right. And then there are commonalities of all the parents that need you. When you think about these preventative strategies and skills that you want your kids to build, what are those skills that the kids build and therefore they usually don't end up in your office seeking help for anxiety? One of the big skills is, and I've talked about this before, emotional literacy. The ability to put words to your feelings, the ability to be able to identify and express what's going on inside of you. So little kids that are able to do that do better as they move forward. So that means parents have to be able to talk and put words and verbalize what's going on with them and help their kids do that as well. Certainly for parents, one of the big ones is the catastrophic language, which I talk about all the time is that if you are a parent that perceives the world as a more dangerous place, then your children are going to see that as well. And that means that they're going to develop a very cautious and avoidant way of moving through the world, for sure. We certainly want kids to develop flexibility rather than rigidity. And anxiety is all about rigidity. It wants things to go a certain way. How do you manage when things don't go the way that you've expected? How do you make connections with people? So teaching kids social skills, which is something that really came to the fore when the great work with kids that were on the spectrum, when we started looking at that as the need to develop social skills, but that's bled out into all children need help with social skills. So those are the kinds of things that I really focus on. But I I would say probably the biggest one is Letting parents be okay with their children not being okay and knowing how to support them through it rather than trying to take it away. It's interesting to hear this whole conversation about preventative mental health is there is the role that the parent has to take responsibility for their own patterns of what they model and what they feel. Mm -hmm. There is the step of then parents having to take ownership of how they parent. Yep. And what they're allowing their children to do from an early age that continues to build as they get older. Yep. Absolutely. And the important part of parents having the supports that they need as adults to be able to manage all of the powerful emotions that come with parenting. That's a key part of it. Being able to get support as an adult, as a parent, so that you can take on this huge, wonderful, but incredibly emotional task of raising children. It's not, it's not easy. Why is it that parenting just like gets us right in the most vulnerable place possible? Because it's the most important, you know, I guess if we look at it evolutionarily, the thing that we want to pay the most attention to is making sure that our kids are okay, right? It's a very basic, basic desire, a basic need. But then as we get more sophisticated, and as, as many people have pointed out, our primitive amygdala has not caught up with our very sophisticated prefrontal cortex. There's a bit of a misbalance there. The world has moved faster than our, our primitive instincts. And so it's, it's daunting for sure. So as we talk about preventative support for our children, 
in terms of protecting them from anxiety becoming a generalized disorder in them. It's one thing if parents hear this and say, oh, well, we don't really have any anxiety issues. But a lot of parents are going to be listening to this and saying, we already do have some anxiety issues. So how does the preventative strategy work when anxiety has very much already shown up? Prevention and treatment, when it comes to anxiety and depression, prevention and treatment are like the Olsen twins of mental health, that you think that the Olsen twins are identical twins, Mary, Kate, and Ashley. I'm dating myself now, but you guys, you know, you know who I'm talking about. Elizabeth Olsen's big sisters. <laughs> Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen look like identical twins. They're actually fraternal twins. It's just that you don't know that until you get close up and until they got much older. Prevention and treatment are the Olsen twins of mental health. They are so similar. So everything that I talk about for treatment applies to prevention. And everything that I talk about for prevention applies to treatment. If you're a parent and you're thinking, okay, so anxiety has already grabbed hold, now what do I do? You still focus on teaching the very same skills. You still focus on on what you're modeling and how you can begin to talk to your child about this pattern of avoidance and how we're going to we're going to make some changes. And I'm a huge huge fan of just talking so directly to your kids about how as a family you're going to interrupt these patterns. So prevention if we can get ahead of it, great, but if it's already there, same skills apply. That's why we actually say in the show, this is for families who already are dealing with anxiety issues or who want to prevent them. That's right. I really like that. I love the fact that I'm teaching things that are preventative and based in treatment, that that I really don't have to come up with a whole different plan, that I can take all the things that I know from treating anxious families and we can use them to get ahead of this thing. Yeah. And the other thing is if you're a parent who's working on the prevention side and not on the treatment side of strategies, it's so worth it because what you're doing is you're basically teaching your children really important, necessary skills for them to emotionally thrive in their lives, problem solving and skill building and flexibility and a sense of self that's healthy, healthy boundaries, talking about feelings. Like it's all, it's all the stuff we're all working on all the time. All the time. And we're all works in progress. And so if you're an adult listening to this and thinking like, oh my God, I've been doing this for all these years. I'm never going to change. Not true, not true, not true. We're always working on ourselves. We all have the patterns that we fall into. We all have the habits that can sort of get us stuck. It's okay. You're just constantly doing a little reset, reset, reset. So everybody join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn an upcoming question on an episode and that you'll get all the information about our 2022 events first. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.